Hello, creepy cats. Welcome to another episode of Ew, That's Creepy. We are again discussing crimes that involve animal DNA. Jackie is going to tell us about a twisted tale of lies, infidelity, and plotting that resulted in the murder of Elizabeth Ballard. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. We are getting creepy on another episode today. We are talking about the second episode of animal DNA woof. cases. Woof, woof. Could you guys hear me? <laughs> woof. I love that. Could you guys hear my cat in the last episode? I left in that part, Jackie, where you, um, I said something crazy and she went, after. Oh, my gosh. She was... I'm sorry about her. She was really bad last week because I was a single parent last week, but sorry. She was on another level, but we'll forgive her. That's okay. Just so you guys know, we always have a dog or a cat sitting with us when we record, so we always have an animal here for uh, to boost our energy, so we hope that spiritually there's an animal here with you now while you're listening. Well, I guess if there was ever a time for Misa to yell, it was in the... Uh, a dog, uh, the, <laughs> the animal, animal DNA. DNA. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so my story is going to talk about the murder of Elizabeth Langhorst Ballard. That is her name. This happened in March of 1998 in Ruiduso, New Mexico. I think that's how you say it. So we'll just start off with... Early in the morning, I believe this happened too. It's like hard to find an exact date, but I believe this event occurred on March 8th or 9th. And we'll start with Elizabeth's mom, Sharon Lee Ashley. She woke up early in the morning and her daughter, Elizabeth, had gone out the night before. She was 27 and was kind of a party girl. And she had promised her mom that she was going to have her car back the next morning. And so Sharon got up and she looked outside and saw the car. So she was very pleased. But when she went to wake up her daughter for work, she didn't see Liz in her bed. So she was kind of like, what the heck? But she wasn't super startled because Liz kind of was... um, I'm not going to say an alcoholic, but she had some problems with alcohol and was when she drank a lot, which I think she did drink a lot often, she would act out and, but she would also like go stay with friends and stuff. So it wasn't like completely out of the normal if she wasn't going to be in bed. Liz's mom just assumed that, I mean, cause her daughter is like 21 or 21, 27, that maybe friends dropped off her car and Liz just like didn't want to come home drunk. So she stayed the night somewhere. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she's 27. I guess you wouldn't be freaking out. And it's 1998. So, I mean, it still is a little bit of a different time type thing. So she wasn't super worried, but she also knew that Liz was in a bad place with her ex-boyfriend named Chris. So 
Sharon kind of knew the whole routine of waiting 72 hours before reporting her daughter missing, and she did that, but in the meantime, you know, she, like, tried to keep tabs on things, and she called Liz's work, and Liz had never showed up, and that was very out of the ordinary, because this was, like, a job in healthcare, and her daughter had just had... I think some sort of like minor operation where she wasn't working the past week and that was going to be her first day back. So it was like, you know, very out of character for Miss her first day back to work. And even though she did tend to drink and party a lot, she was still very good at going to her job. So that was alarming. Where and did she work? I think it was like a healthcare type place. Okay. I don't want to say a nursing home because I'm not 100% sure and I don't really remember, so my apologies, but... Some sort of healthcare. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so, like, she's kind of had a couple jobs. Before that, she had, I think, two jobs in maybe the past year or two years or so. So, it wasn't, like, a long-term job, but she definitely would have showed up that day. Okay. So... On the second night that Liz was gone, Sharon said she woke up and heard Liz calling, saying, Mommy, I'm so cold. And she said that she knew it was clearly Liz's voice. So she, like, sprung out of bed and went to Liz's room, and Liz wasn't there. So she just had, like, a really bad feeling. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's really scary and sad. Yeah, it is. So, a couple days went by, and Sharon went to Chris's house, the ex, and knocked on the door, and no one answered, even though she saw Chris's car in the driveway, so she, like, knew that he was just ignoring her. Dick. Yeah. And so, she reported her daughter missing that day. And so... Interestingly enough, Sharon reported her daughter missing on a Wednesday morning, and the day before that, on Tuesday, Liz was supposed to show up to court to testify against Chris for assault charges, and she did not show, so the judge had dropped the charges. That seems oddly convenient for Chris. Right? So, at this point, Sharon did not know what to do, And she called the police. So, we're going to go back a little bit in time, just because the story kind of, like, two stories cross paths. You know what I'm saying? okay. A little bit. So, we'll just backtrack a little bit, talk about Liz. She was born in August of 1970 in Colorado. Her parents, obviously, Sharon Lee, Ashley, um, was married to Liz's father, but they divorced And they did remarry two years later and try to make it work, but they divorced for a second time. And then Sharon and Liz moved to Montana, but from a young age, I think Liz was left to spend a lot of time by herself. So she was kind of left to make friends um, around the neighborhood and stuff, and she tended to make friends with older kids and not necessarily like super bad but just kind of kids that were doing things that were a little bit not age appropriate for Liz like she would go out joy riding and stuff when she was like in sixth grade out in older people's cars oh no yeah so she didn't have a whole lot of parental direction 
When Liz was 12, she moved in with her stepdad to try and find some parental direction and get some more structure, but the stepmom complained after a while that Liz wasn't really a good influence on the other two kids in the house that were her kids. Wait, she moved in with her stepdad? And her stepmom, yeah. Liz. Okay. Is that okay with you, or? How can you have a stepdad and a stepmom, though, living together? I like, mean, like. Which one is her actual oh, parent? Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's her dad. Yeah, I guess you're right. I was confused by what you're saying. It's her dad and her stepmother. Okay. I'm so sorry. That's you're okay. right. I was like, hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> Liz was 12. She moves in with her dad and her stepmom. But the stepmom has two kids, and Liz and says that Liz is kind of a bad influence on the two other kids. So they send Liz to a Christian school where she stayed for a year, and then they politely said, like, they think Liz would do better off not in the school. They basically kicked her out. So I don't like them. I know. Tough. Instead of trying to give her some love and maybe helping her, why don't we just kick her out of school and send her to public? Mm -hmm. So she moved back in with her mom. And Liz's mom now worked in Colorado, and sadly, she was an alcoholic, and she did admit that. Liz and her mom lived together, and they moved to Arizona when Liz was a teen. They kind of moved around a bit. Uh, Liz dropped out of school and worked instead, but I think that was, like, her thing. She did have a job, like, from the time she dropped out, so she was just more of, like, a working person. They're definitely... A lot of people like that who are just more in working and not for school. School is not for everyone. Exactly. So, she was definitely the, like, met the wrong type of guys, which is what her mom said. And when she was 17, she dated a 35-year-old named <gasps> Brett Ballard. Electric chair. <laughs> he was covered in tattoos. And, like, shortly after the two met, Liz got a tattoo, basically because Brett had them. Did you know she was 16? 17. Yeah, I think so. Disgusting. And she got pregnant, but sadly the two lost the baby, but they did get married. And Brett wanted a stay-at-home wife. I think he made, like, decent money. But Liz wanted friends and fun and to drink and go out and be social. So I think that caused some tension in their relationship. But in April 1991, Liz gave birth to her son, Kyle... And after that, her and Brett were kind of back and forth with their relationship. Uh, Liz moved in and out. She moved between her mother's house and back in with Brett. And then in 1994, Sharon had remarried. Sharon is Liz's mom. She remarried and moved to New Mexico with her new husband when Liz called her one day out of the blue and said that Brett had abused her physically and that she was, like, totally done with it. And she was going to move back in with her mom. And her mom said that was fine. Poor Liz. Yeah. So Liz moving in with her mom, though, sadly caused a good amount of problems for Sharon and Sharon's new husband. Because Liz would have a lot of friends over and they would party and stuff. And Liz eventually moved on and met a new guy after... You know, some time passed. She met a new guy. His name was Chris Fabiel. You know, the man from the beginning. So Sharon's husband met Chris and said from the first time he met him that he was convinced that Chris was gay. Oh, 
What? So, yeah. So, the two had met at a restaurant. Uh, Chris had worked at the, like, snack bar in a, the local bowling alley. And so, they met eventually at a restaurant and had some drinks together and stuff. And they became friends. And Chris had a friend named Charles Martinez. And the two had been gay lovers for a while. But Chris didn't really feel the same. And he kind of wanted a change. And a lot of people said that they believe he saw that change with Liz. And kind of jumped at, like, the opportunity to be in a single relationship. Or um, (laughs) a straight relationship after him and Charles had been together for so long. Because they had been together for, like, 13 years, I think. Was he bisexual or he... I believe so. So, Charles did dress in drag and was called Eva. Love it. Yeah. But I I don't believe Charles has gotten a sex change or... A lot of these reports, they have asked Charles, like, do you want to be called Charles or Eva? And he said to the police and stuff, he doesn't really care, so... All the reports still refer to him as Charles, so that is just what I will uh, do. And there's obviously a difference between dressing in drag and feeling like a woman, and I'm not exactly sure where Charles stands on the matter. I can't ask him, so... It's it's so, like, just shaking your head at how in the late 90s they just assume that it's the same for you to be dressing in drag and be wanting to be a woman... Yeah, and it's, like, tough because I'm getting all my information from a book, and so a lot of it is just, like, asking people who are friends with the two and the police what they said, but it's hard. asking the source. Exactly, and that's definitely the best way to know. Mm. So, Chris would brag to Charles that uh, once he met Liz, that Liz was flirting with him and wanted to, you know, like, be all up on him and stuff. And so, Charles and Chris eventually separated in, like, a sour way, obviously. And it was basically because Chris had met Liz, and then Liz and Chris got together. And I'm just going to be honest, you know, with the whole story, because that's what we do here. But Liz did tell her mother that she was trying to nurse Chris to heterosexuality, and thought that she could basically turn him straight. Girl. I'm not going to say anything about that, because obviously she's the victim in this case. But, Liz, yeah. Liz, Liz, that's not the way to do it, girl. If you have to try with someone, get someone you don't have to try with. Yeah, I think maybe she thought she was helping Chris, like, live his truth and find himself. But that comment, I did find a little bit not okay. Yeah. So, Chris, though, really wanted Sharon's approval, Liz's mom. He was, like, a pretty emotional person and would kind of cry a lot and confide in Sharon, but he also made comments about Liz, like, saying she was immature and he wanted to put her in her place. What? Who just says that? Like, oh. To her mom. (laughs) Like, what? Yeah, like, what do you think they're... What do you think she's going to say about her own daughter? But one day, Liz 
and Chris were fighting, and Sharon saw it. I'm not exactly sure where they were fighting. I think maybe outside, like, a restaurant or something, but... Or a bar, I don't know. But Liz and Chris were fighting, and Sharon was watching out a window, and the two didn't know. And she saw Chris grab Liz by the hair and pull her over some railroad ties. Oh I don't my even. Gosh. Yeah, I don't know what railroad ties are either. But yeah, very violent. And Sharon said she was really, really shook, but she didn't call the police because it's her daughter's decision. But she told her daughter, like, you need to leave and press charges about that because I saw what happened. And Liz said no. She had, like, instigated the fight, and a few days later, she moved in with Chris. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so one night, Chris was, I guess, more pissed off than usual, and him and Liz got into an argument where he attacked her and tried to choke her and slam her head into a wall. Oh, my goodness. But a friend was over because Kyle, Liz's son, had, like, a friend over, I believe, and the other kid's mom was there, so they just witnessed it. I forgot she has a son. Yeah, she has a son, too. And so, the son and his little friend and the friend's mom, I believe, were all there, and they just witnessed it. And so, they got Liz out, and she called the police and took her stuff and moved in with Sharon again. And that, I believe, is where the assault charges against Chris came from because they called the police that night. And I definitely think that a witness being there had, like, a play of the police being called. But it is a good thing that someone else was there. It's so hard to leave abusive relationships. Like, when your kid is involved and you know at this point they're witnessing and they know what they're witnessing, that's horrible. It is. And there are a lot of back and forth stories about the relationship between Liz and Chris and about the abuse that happened between the two. But honestly, I don't want this episode to be an hour long. And if you want to just hear straight up about all that abuse, you basically can if you read the book. That's too tumultuous for me, and I don't want to hear just all about abuse. Yeah, exactly. And I did read the book, and the book was really good and had a lot of detail, but it's not all pertinent for an episode. Okay. So, a lot went back and forth between their the two and their relationship, but eventually Charles called Chris and said that he missed him. Chris didn't really know how to feel about it at first, and he kind of was just, like, considering it, but... Eventually, he called Charles back and said that the two could be together if Charles was a woman because it would be easier for them to have a normal life and seem like a regular heterosexual couple. Now he's... It's like... Which he, is how he I was trying. Liz was trying to change his sexuality, and now he's just doing the same thing to Charles. Well, not even, like, his sexuality, like, his gender. Like, yeah. he's straight up telling, like, Charles to dress more like Ava because he wants him to look, he wants them both to look like a straight couple, which is how it's really hard to grasp how Charles feels about his gender because I think Chris makes him dress more feminine And I don't know how often he wants to wear feminine clothes, but Chris is definitely making him do it more. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Chris and Liz both sound a little like they have some toxic tendencies. 
Yeah, agreed. It sounds like them two are definitely not the best mixed together, but... So what happened to Liz? (laughs) I know, right? So Chris basically told Charles, though, that they could get back together. And the two plans on moving in together, and I think Chris eventually, yeah, told Liz that their relationship... Oh, wait, well, no, I'm sorry. Chris didn't tell Liz that. This was happening, I think, when Liz had moved out in the interim of her assault charges. And so Chris and Charles obviously just got back together. Shocker. Right. So, Charles had a pit bull named Hercules, and he was, I believe, a, like, red and white pit bull, or a red one, but it was a pit bull mix, and Chris wasn't, like, a huge fan of the dog, because they said it shed all over the place. <laughs> right? Liz, that will come into our story. <laughs> right? Liz did know that Charles and Chris got back together, and one night she saw them out together and humiliated them by pointing at them and laughing with her friends and making fun of Charles for dressing in drag. Not very nice. Charles would visit his mother on the weekends, and during that time, Chris would cheat with Liz when he was gone, and the two would have sex. Charles told his friends that he was eventually going to have a sex change, but for now, he was just, like, going to dress in drag. But who really... Honestly, it's hard to tell if that's true or not, just because it seems like Chris is pretty manipulative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, it does, and it's sad, too, because, I mean, I don't like what Liz is doing, but I feel like it's also in partly because of Chris's manipulation that Liz is acting this way. Right? So, Chris and Charles, I do believe they ended up getting married. They were, like, celebrating their relationship being taken to the next level, and they went out, and that night Liz went to the bar that them two usually went, and basically looking for them, and got into a physical altercation with one of Chris and Charles' friends, whose name was Christy. Christy said that she saw uh, Liz the next night at a different bar, and Liz went up to her and apologized and said she really didn't remember anything of the fight and that she was sorry and kind of wanted to be Christy's friend and, like, didn't want to start any more drama. And she, Christy said Liz felt really bad. Okay, good for you, Liz. Chris, yeah, Christy said that she didn't like Liz when Liz was drinking, but when Liz was sober, she was a completely different person. Mm. Yeah. But that same day, Chris and Charles came to the same bar that Liz was at and refused to leave. They later told Christy that they followed Liz home that night, and the next night, they both slashed her tires when she was inside of a different bar. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so Christy kind of was, like, at this point, like, I don't really like that. Like, she didn't really want to hear about it anymore. So Chris was beginning to say things to his friends, like, he could easily take care of Liz if he wanted to and that he wanted to get revenge on her. Eventually, some sort of incident occurred that the police got called at the bowling alley, and I believe Chris got in some legal trouble, and he was convinced that Liz was the one who had called the police. So, the couple had two close friends who were also a couple, and their names were Kathy 
and his name, I believe, was Faustinchino. Ooh, I like that. Right? She said the men constantly, like, told her and her mans that Liz needed to be taken care of and stuff and basically asked Faustantino to do something about Liz. She said that one night her man, Faustantino, came home and said that Chris and Charles had come found him at his work at Walmart and said that they needed his help immediately because they had just taken care of Liz. (gasps) Kathy ended up going over to Chris and Charles' house that night and hearing all about what they did, and eventually, Kathy had told her brother about this because she was very worried, and Kathy's brother was actually very, very good friends with a Rui Dusso detective named Detective Wolf. This is the ultimate game of telephone. I know, right? So, Kathy ended up going to the police Like, her brother made the call to his friend and was like, my sister is in some shit, basically. Mm -hmm. And Detective Wolf was like, bring her in. And so they did. She goes to the police and she tells them what she knows and what Chris and Charles had told her about what happened the night that they had killed Liz. So they said that that night that Liz was drinking at the Elkhorn Pub, which is in Rui Duso. Earlier in the day, she had planned to meet with Chris, but for whatever reason, they didn't meet, and she went out to the bar, and I believe she got pretty drunk, but she was still going to drive home, and on her way home from the bar that night, she was really upset and made an impromptu stop at Chris's house out of nowhere at 3 a.m. and was pounding on his door. So, she came over to make amends, but, I mean, I'm not trying to sound rude or victim blame whatsoever, but most people would be pretty mad if someone banged on their door at 3 a.m., especially their ex. Yeah, it's just not a good time for that, but yeah, effort, no, not, uh, yeah, not a good message to deliver at 3 a.m. Especially in the midst, though... Of him slashing your tires. Like, they definitely were not on good terms, but... And you're going to court. Anyway, yeah. Anyway, so Chris heard the door, went, looked outside and saw um, Liz's mom's car, knew Liz was going to be at the door, and said to Charles, like, that's Liz. And Charles said to Chris, why is she here? Like, she has... This goes against the assault charges that she has against you. Don't let her in. But Chris just let her in anyway and was infuriated. Liz walks in the door and Chris shuts it behind her and says, like, what do you want? And I believe Charles basically said, like, you're not welcome in here. And Chris and Charles looked at each other and basically knew this was the time to get their revenge. Because they had been plotting... And scheming and talking about Liz's downfall for a while. So it was almost a big opportunity for them that Liz had just showed up at their house at 3 a.m. And they just looked at each other and really knew that it was time to pounce. So Liz turned around after saying probably like three sentences and went to walk to the door after they said like, why are you even here? And I think she 
realized like she was in a bad situation at that point. She tried to go towards the door, but Chris got in her way, and Charles pushed her really far from behind into Chris, who grabbed her arms and restrained her. Charles then picked up a thermal coffee mug and hit Liz over the head with it really hard, I believe a few times. I swear to God, I like have anxiety right now. I'm sorry. It's okay. So, Liz fell to the ground, and the two overcame her. And had her pinned to the floor. Uh, And Charles was screaming to Chris to kill Liz and to, like, end it. And Chris couldn't do it. He must have gotten stage fright or something. Because he was, like, just fighting with Liz. But he wasn't doing anything, really. Well, that's someone he has a relationship with. For Charles, he doesn't have a connection. Yeah, and for Charles, you know, he's probably all the spitefulness. He's pissed. Yeah, so... Charles begins strangling Liz with her scarf because Liz was wearing a scarf that night. And he had recently, though, had some sort of surgical operation and couldn't finish the job because he was too tired. (coughs) Excuse me. He was too tired and, like, out of breath, so he couldn't finish strangling her. So he made Chris do it and was like, Chris, you have to finish this. And Chris strangled Liz to death with the scarf. They then grabbed a blanket and put her body in it. But because they had wrestled with Liz on the ground and wrestled her to the floor, there was dog hair, like, all over the place. So the men told Kathy that they dropped off Liz's car at her mom's place. And then they drove away with Liz's body in their own car. Kathy said that they buried Liz's body somewhere out, like, in the deserty area, because this is New Mexico, so there's desert all over the place. But they didn't tell Kathy exactly where, and they were obviously really, really shook. That's basically why they called Kathy and her man over, was to tell them all about it and to just, like, get it off their chest. So... Police asked Kathy's boyfriend, Faustino, I don't know why that's so tough for me to say, about all this, and he basically tells the same exact story with a little more detail, talking about how they came to the Walmart to say they needed help. Yeah. So police go to Chris and Charles' house, and they detain them and place them in custody. They interrogate them. They ask if Liz had ever been to their house, and Charles specifically said, no, she's not welcome in here. So, Charles said that he knew Kathy and Faustino. Um, Chris, however, said, no, I don't know them. Chris must have caught on real quick in the interview that they were the ones that ratted them out. Right. So, he said no, but they didn't admit to anything and didn't really say anything incriminating. While they were being interrogated, detectives were at their house searching for evidence, and one of the detectives had dogs that shed a lot, so they figured that if the men had done it, there would be a lot of dog hair on Liz's body because Hercules, Charles' dog, was a shedder, and they also figured that there would be dog hair all over the house. But when they searched the house, the living room and the carpet were immaculate, and the the detectives could only recover seven dog hairs from the carpet. Which, if you have a carpet, even if you vacuum that, you're going to get way more than seven dog hairs. 
I could pull seven of my cat's hairs off my one arm sweater right now. (laughs) Literally, same. Same. So, there was also a fan pointed directly at the carpet, which the investigators believed was used to dry the carpet after the two had probably cleaned it of blood. And they must have, I don't know if they specifically cleaned it for pet hairs, but I'm assuming they just cleaned it so well that all the pet hairs, like, came out. probably vacuumed it after. So, police luminaled the carpet, but they did not have any human DNA on it that was, like, uncovered from the luminol which you know usually that the carpet lights up if there's like any dna on it from the luminol yeah but they didn't find any and they didn't find any signs of struggle or any sort of other forms of dna or signs that liz had been at the house so they at that point had let chris and charles um go because they didn't really have any evidence on them but in the days and the time after Liz's disappearance and after they brought the couple into custody, they began searching around Round Mountain, which is west of Mescalaro Reservation. Kathy had said that this is where the body had been dumped, like somewhere in this area they had said. They hadn't said the exact location, but the reservation and the land in that area is huge, so it's not like... The detectives didn't have a whole lot to go on. Yeah. So the search at first just was lasting days, and detectives were searching, you know, their little butts off. And they did more inspections of the house because they wanted to see if they missed anything. Yeah. They saw coffee stains on the blinds, and other parts of the blinds had been cleaned so harshly that they were curled. So they were like, hmm, that fits into... What Kathy said about a coffee mug being used to hit Liz over the head. Yeah. And that's so horrible to think of. That's so sad for Liz. Right? But they keep searching, and eventually they find an area of the desert that has a red house on it. And Kathy had said that the men mentioned a red house, so they were like, what are the coincidences of that? They get a sniffer dog out there who is going to comb the area and look around And eventually the dog just smells something and takes off and bolts in one area. And the handler and the investigators run after it and are finding it. And they literally find Liz's body half pulled out of a grave. They assumed it was pulled out of coyotes who had pulled her body out of the fresh grave when they had smelled it when the men had buried her there. And the dog, whose name was Opie, the sniffer dog, it got a clear scent of Liz's body since it was half out of the grave. Wow, what an awesome cadaver dog. Right? However, she was missing parts of her body that were eaten away by the animals. She was barely missing some of her clothes and just barely had a bra over one of her breasts. This is graphic, but... She had, like, a trail of her intestines that were stretched about the area. So, it was a really graphic scene for investigators. That's horrible. Yeah. But it was just from, like, her being out there in the elements and stuff. But they found her April 7th. It was 20 
28 days into the search, and it took the dog Opie 28 minutes to find Liz, and it was Detective Wolf's wife's birthday and Liz's son Kyle's birthday. That's so odd. What a right? weird date and a weird time and all those weird That's numbers. what they thought. And Detective Wolf, like a lot of the book kind of talks about his obsession with this case and his like commitment to it and stuff. So for it to be on his wife's birthday too was like coincidental. Happy birthday, Detective Wolf. Right? And it was also crazy that it was 28 days into the search and it was like 28 minutes for the dog. Right. And I like that the dog found the body because this one's dog DNA. Dogs transcend spirituality. (laughs) Dogs are spirituality. (laughs) They are spirit. (laughs) Yeah. So after finding Liz's body, the two men were like, I think, detained again and held while detectives went and took hair from Hercules, the pit bull. And they also found, I believe, a vacuum bag that had hairs in it. And they were positive that Liz had never been around the dog Hercules. So the things that were recovered from Liz's body were a ring, two buttons, a chapstick lid, the rest of her bra, a piece of cloth, and a sock. So after searching her clothes and all that stuff, investigators found some hairs embedded in one of Liz's socks, and the hairs tested were canine. Oh, my gosh. So, the hairs were viewed under a microscope, and scientists, like, at the regular old detective lab said that they were extremely similar to the hairs from Hercules. However, this was the 90s, so the detectives were not pleased, and they, like, dog DNA had never been used in a case before, so they were like, we need more than just extremely similar. Wow. Yeah, so they needed more than this. So, they went on a little mission to get this dog DNA tested. They began calling any experts they could, any people they thought they knew who would, like, know how to really test dog DNA. Call Hercules to the stand. Right. They actually even called Scotland Yard to try to help them, and Scotland Scotland Yard at the time said they couldn't, but they directed the detectives to Dr. Joyce Halverson. She was a senior scientist for a California company, and she had successfully conducted a DNA sample match from a blood sample from a pit bull in a Washington court case that had recently occurred. But I believe it was a blood match. It wasn't a dog hair. So it was like blood from the pit bull was at the scene. Okay. But she had recently successfully done that DNA sample match. So they called her up and was like, girl, we need you. But at first, she kind of just said, no, it was going to be too tough. But they kept on it, and they asked her again. And when they asked her the second time, they were like, you're literally our only hope. And she ended up saying yes. And so they sent, they got... Blood, hair, and skin samples taken from Hercules. And so, three weeks later, Dr. Halverson had a result about the hairs. She said the hair was a match and a 44,000 match. So, she said that it was enough for every Rui Duso resident to own three red-haired pit bulls. Damn. <laughs> yeah, so one in, in 44,000 is the match. 
That is crazy. Yep. So it was definitely a positive match to Hercules. So this was in February 1999 that the results came in. So it was almost a whole year after the body had been found in April 1998. And they were, like, ready to go on trial. They did have some other evidence against the men, uh, such as records show that Liz, the last night she was alive, withdrew $20 to go to the bar, but friends said she didn't use any of the money. So detectives assumed that she would still have the $20 in her jeans because she never carried a wallet. Chris's bank statement showed that two days after Liz disappeared, he deposited $24 into his bank account. $4 was from a check, and the other 20 was a cash. Who so, deposits $24? I don't know who deposits $4 from a check, even in the 90s, but whatever. So Chris moved on in prison uh, and dated a woman, And he told this woman that he killed his ex-girlfriend and she had told a friend this. So detectives brought her in and questioned her and asked her to turn over like anything she had against Chris. And she turned over a ton of love letters between the two. And these letters were basically all sex. And then there would be like just some sporadic stuff where Chris would like talk about his personal life and then it would be like all sex again. <laughs> and in one of these letters He's like, do you know what I'm gonna do to you when we get out? Oh, earlier today I had soup, but you know what I'm still gonna do to you when we No, get it out would here? literally be like that. And if you read the book, I'm not gonna give away spoilers, but if you want all that stuff in the book, like they give like direct quotes from what they said. I love it. And I in one of them yeah, and in one of the letters, Chris had actually outlined his penis on it. Like, with a, you know, put his penis on a piece of paper <laughs> and outlined it and sent it to this girl. Like, make a mold of this girl. Literally. So, Chris and Charles were ultimately charged with murder in the first degree, conspiracy to commit murder, and tampering with evidence. Martinez was tried first, and he was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison. Is that Chris or Charles? Charles. Oh, yeah, Charles Martinez. Sorry. Charles was tried first and found guilty and sentenced to life. There's a lot about the trial, again, in the book, but nothing too interesting or crazy. Just that it obviously relied significantly on the dog hairs as the DNA evidence match that tied Charles to Liz. Because yeah, that's all they have for Charles. Yeah, because the dog hair, like, they had never met before. That's the only DNA evidence that they had. But then they had a lot of people just testify about all the statements that Charles and Chris made. I mean, they had reached out to Kathy's boyfriend to try to take care of Liz, to beat her up. At one point, they had bought in black outfits to wear if they were going to kidnap Liz or, like, break into their home. They had, like, done a lot of planning for if they were going to do something to Liz, and they had already slashed her tires. Liz had an assault charge against Chris. There was a lot of circumstantial evidence, but the DNA hair was a match. For sure was a match. There's no way to explain how DNA hair was on her deceased body. On her sock. Yeah, on her sock. Like, no, there's no way. So, yeah, um, Charles 
was found guilty and sentenced to life. Chris, however, was tried five months later in November 1999, and it was a little tougher. Chris did go on the stand, and he was really emotional, and he blamed, actually blamed the whole thing on Charles. I think him and Charles split pretty quick once they were in prison, and yeah, he blamed it on Charles and said that Liz had showed up that night, and that she came in and stuff that Charles had flipped, and I mean, Charles is the one who hit her over the head. And started strangling her in the first place. And Chris, from what the two told Kathy, like, Chris finished it. But obviously, Chris wasn't going to say that in his own trial. Right. And he was very emotional and played a good part. So, they offered Chris a plea deal to plead no contest and get seven years in prison. Seven? Yeah, and sadly, he was only released after four. However... the hell offered him this deal? Yeah, I don't know. It's pretty annoying. But Chris is a habitual criminal now. He's been in and out of jail ever since. Um, I don't think he has much going for him. And I don't mean that in any rude way. I just think they said, like, maybe 15 arrests, somewhere like that, and this happened... Their sentencing was, I think, in the early 2000s, so he's been out for a while and just is a habitual criminal. Um, Charles' sentence was lowered to 35 years afterwards for whatever reason, and then he eventually got out too. It's kind of annoying. I don't really know why there wasn't that much it doesn't seem like there was a whole lot of justice done for Liz. I mean, both men obviously served their time in prison. But what? it seem I don't know if they did some victim blaming in this scenario. It's it seems annoying that the jury found Charles guilty of life in prison and then the court for whatever reason overturned it. But this was the first case, obviously, in the U.S. that used a dog hair as DNA evidence to match. I love the dog hair aspect. That's crazy. This was the first case ever yeah. to use it. And I loved that the dog found Liz's body. For me, that was just like double doggy sobbing. <laughs> I love that. I'm just so annoyed, though, at the fact of those verdicts because I do get not life in prison for the sole reason of that night. It wasn't planned. That it yeah. was spur of the moment I when agree. she showed up. Yeah. But what I disagree with the short sentences is that they planned this and talked about this for so long. So what happens when they find their next partner and someone pisses them off and that person shows up at 3 in the morning? Exactly. And I think maybe... With Charles, the stuff with Liz, and, I mean, Liz's mom at one point showed up at Charles and Chris's house and was yelling the F word outside their house, calling them the F word. It said that Liz humiliated the two at bars and stuff, so I'm sure there was, like, obviously this brewing hatred inside Charles and obviously inside Chris, too, so, who knows if they really would kill somebody again. That's true. But that doesn't... Come on now. Four years 
And I don't even know exactly when Charles got out, but still. You need at least 10 for, like, a crime. Even if it was a crime of passion. At least 15, I'd say. Come on, now you're killing somebody by strangling them to death and hitting them over the head with a coffee pot. Yeah, after you've planned for months and literally bought clothes to kidnap them in and tried to solicit someone. Like, and all three of those things happened on separate occasions. Yeah. They were serious about killing her. Yeah. And I believe there might be a couple, like, ID shows or something covering this case, but I can't remember. I'm so sorry I'm blanking on the book name. This would have been a... That's okay. But I got all the information. Yeah, I'll link it below. I got all the information off some book. It was $5 if you buy it, like, on Amazon Kindle. Love that. Yeah. And it was really good. And I read the whole thing in, like, two days. That, this would have been a good episode for Love Triangles Week, but obviously the dog hairs, the fact with the dogs and stuff, that's crazy. It was, like, funny. I was thinking that the story could have been taken in so many, like, different themes, but, yeah, it's just great that this was the first time that the dog hair matched. I'm glad the dog, the dog, um, the cadaver dog and Hercules, I'm glad they could both help to bring some justice for Liz. I know, I am too, and I'm glad that Hercules was a shedder and shed some hairs into Liz's sock. Yep, so don't get all mad the next time you guys have dog hair on you. Yeah, because truly, without the hair, I really don't know. They would have just had did it, but they didn't have the evidence. Uh Uh-huh, like, I think the dog hair was, like, the nail in the coffin. Like, if this was a forensic files, without a doubt, the dog hair would have been the thing. I'm surprised this wasn't a forensic files. It probably is, Probably. (laughs) True. Well, that's the tale, guys. Thanks for listening. Let us know how you guys feel about the dog hair theme, as always. I hope you guys liked it, and, um, I mean, they're brutal as always, but at least we can add a pupper to the mix. Yeah, at least we can do, like, the dogs are helping, and that makes us feel better. (laughs) About something in this world. Literally. (laughs) Go pet a dog. Go hug your fur babies. Thank you guys for listening. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at ew, that's creepy podcast, or send us an email at ew, that's creepy podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.